All right, welcome everyone. Y'all come on and find your seats. If you're joining us from home, go ahead and stand with us. If you can, we're going to sing to the Lord. Before we start singing, let's let God's word call us to worship from Isaiah chapter 12. Let's listen to God's word. It says this, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. This is what we're to do. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Let's sing to him.
is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you laid down your life that I would be set free oh Jesus I sing for all that you've done for me This is a 
What patience would wait as we constantly know. What Father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the Lord. Our sins, they are was the cost we stood neath the death we could never afford our sins they are many his mercy is this morning for us to in the early service for us to pray in this latest adventure of the hour in which we live right uh, 2020 seems to never stop dealing out what we prayed about and the elders gathered for prayer this morning and one of the guys just prayed about the number of distractions that we have encountered this year right so here we are with another hurricane uh, on our doorstep and our attention will get absorbed in that, and in some ways rightly so, in other ways it'll, it'll just be a distraction. But I had a sense this morning for us to, to pray in the early service, and, and I had particular direction that I felt led for us to, uh, to go in in that prayer. Um, but uh, Patrice had come in between services and had a, a sense of something that the Lord had given her, and it was a, quite a deal of, great deal of overlap there. And since I am teaching this morning on prophetic gifts, uh, we thought we should lean in the prophetic gifts and, and let those function this morning. So rather than me leading us, I'm going to let Patrice share that word. And then we're going to pray together uh, about this coming week and uh, 
how God is leading us. As we come to church this morning, we are aware of a new storm that is stirring up right now in the Gulf of Mexico. As the storm is stirring and approaching, we will begin to prepare for for what may be heading our way. I believe the Lord wants us to know, stop, look, and listen, and say to us, prepare, prepare, prepare. Get your house in order. Get your house in order. Get your house in order. Don't be caught unaware of what he is doing. We must be rooted and grounded in the word. We are stepping into a season of miracles and signs and wonders, unlike what we have ever experienced. As days get darker and gloomier, as the enemy presses in harder and harder, Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. The light of Christ in you will get brighter and brighter. Put down what is bringing death and stop scrolling and scrolling through social media and looking for entertainment. Stop letting culture dictate who you are or who you want to be. Pick up what will bring life. Open your Bible and know your word. Know who you are in Christ and be prepared to fight the battle ahead. Stand up and know who we are as a body of Christ. The war has been won, but the battle will rage. We are coming in dangerous days. The miraculous power of the Holy Spirit will be poured out on those who have been preparing. It is not too late. The time is now. Surrender your life to the Lord and let the Spirit of God take over and control and rule your thoughts, your mind, and your life. And you will be transformed by his spirit for the days ahead. Fathers, we will observe in our study of 1 Corinthians 14 this morning. You give prophetic gifts and words to your church. Words that are timely, words that are about the current moment in which our lives are living, your church is walking, words that bring urgency to us, words that incite and persuade our hearts. So Father, what we just heard, we want to make room for it in our hearts appropriately. Lord, you have been for some time now making us aware of the times in which we live. And Lord, those times, they are feeling more and more like birth pains that are going to give way to some great event. God, we know from your word that great event that 
we await is the return of your son. So Lord, as we are paying attention and we can't help but pay attention, or we have been living even in the last few years of a world of tsunamis and earthquakes and wildfires and hurricanes after hurricanes after hurricanes and pandemics and unrest and wars and rumors of wars. Lord, as we face those things, Lord, we are aware. You said these would be the days that would come. And you would pour out your spirit on us in those days. And there would be miracles. And there would be gifts of the spirit manifest. And your people would find strange strengthening for that hour. So, Father, we want to receive that word. We want to be mindful of the times in which we live. We want your spirit to be poured out and received in our lives, Lord. So whatever you are calling us to do, to make room for that, to receive that, to walk in that. I pray for every ear that is here, everyone watching through live stream. Let each of us prepare room for what you give and the hour in which we live. God, we do pray this morning specifically as another hurricane approaches our city. God, we, we pray for the city that you have placed us in. God, we pray for the people of this city. God, we pray for the, the vulnerable and the weak and the poor and those without resources or those who perhaps would, without your intervention, make foolish decisions for themselves. And grace would find them, Lord. You would rescue them, Lord. We don't want for any of them to suddenly lose their lives and stand before you in judgment. God, we pray for this moment, Lord, in which yet another life circumstances is letting us know how vulnerable our existence is. How much unpredictability is in our world. Lord, may it be a cause for us to run to you, to seek you, to know our need for a savior who can save us from all of this and give us eternal life. God, we pray that for our city. Lord, that these circumstances would drive our hearts to seek you, our Savior. So Lord, we give these things and present these things to you as your people. Lord, may you empower us this week to live with yet another noisy moment, with many opportunities to be afraid, but yet, Lord, we are not afraid you are with us and you go before us and you will be faithful to us. We trust. Let's stand up together and let Eric lead us again.
Lord, your word says even if we are faithless, Lord, you will be faithful to never let us go. Lord, so where our, our faith is weak, where it is weary, where it has been challenged and distracted, Lord, would you impart fresh faith to us? Right now, Spirit of God, impart faith to your people. Those of us that are gathered here in this room together, those of us who are tuning in, Lord, would you, would you give us faith to trust you, O faithful one? The one who came and, and died a death on Calvary on our behalf, O Jesus, would you impart faith to us to trust you through all that's confusing, all that's unclear, all that's difficult? Lord, you will not let us go. So we trust you. Do this work in us, we pray. It's in your name. Amen. Amen. Grateful for assurances of how God loves us and leads us. And thank you for gathering with us today. My name is Evan, one of the pastors here. If you're visiting with us, we'd love to get a chance to, to meet you after the service. And, and if you're a first-time guest, we have a gift for you. It's available at our little welcome desk on your way out. Please stop by and pick up one of those. And if there's some way that we can connect with you or serve you uh, in these times, we, we want to be aware of that. Our, our songs this morning have celebrated the abundance of what God has done for us, that he's, he's overwhelmed our days with good, that even though our sins are many, that his mercy is more. He's, he's paid off our debt and he's loaded up our spiritual bank account, that there is amazing grace and that we want to sing about all that he's done for us. And, and, and this is one of the, the ways that, that that worshiping together has an effect on our soul. It, it puts us in contact with realities that are easy to forget, easy to be displaced in all that we're experiencing in life and in this world. We, we could be more in touch with our, our need and our lack and our weaknesses than all that God has provided. I like the way that Timothy Keller gives this illustration. He talks about somebody who lives as if they're poor because they've forgotten they have, I don't know, some Swiss bank account somewhere. They haven't checked the balance, but there's millions of dollars there, and yet they're not living in the good of those resources. They, they act as if they're needy and going hungry. And that's who we can be easily as God's people, right? Striving, frantic, fearful, worrying about provision, anxious about what we're walking through when we're not realizing God has so richly blessed us. And, and there's an impact that happens when we're in touch with that. And Paul describes that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor. You could translate that for the, for the grace or for the gift of taking part in the relief of the saints. 
How does this work economically, right? In, in, in conditions that are described as uh, extreme poverty and a severe test of affliction. And we've walked through some things this year. Most of us probably haven't faced anything that could be described as extreme poverty. And yet in, in, in these conditions, first century Macedonia, there's a generosity on their part. What's producing that? It's the grace of God. It's, it's a work of his favor. It's, it's a sense of abundance of joy in him that can't help but overflow. In fact, insists upon spilling over in generosity toward the work of God's kingdom and toward people who are in need. And so as we receive from God again today, uh, let, let's allow that to, to have a sense of giving and generosity because of what he has done. Let's pray. God, we... We are filled, Lord, as we engage your presence, encounter your truth, receive from your love. Lord, I I trust we have been filled, Lord, with your joy today. Would our pattern of giving in whatever moment of need we walk through, Lord, would would it be a display to this world, Lord, that we we are not grasping and striving like the next person desperate and afraid, but Lord, we have received much from you. And so Lord, there is this desire to give whenever opportunity comes. We thank you, God, in Jesus name. Amen. As you give this morning, we have some offering boxes in the the back of the room. You can make use of those uh, now or on your way out if you'd like. Uh, There are also ways to give uh, digitally on our website and through our app. Um, well, we've been mentioning how we're going to have some upcoming, uh, upcoming opportunities to gather for prayer. And the first one is this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, an hour of prayer together, uh, seeking God's power for the times in which we live, pursuing the gifts of his spirit as, as the, the toolkit that we need uh, in these last days. Um, and so please plan to be a part of that, to, 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 to lean forward, to receive this Wednesday night. Um, in order to, to be here, though, uh, because we're going to be setting up the room just like this, uh, we just need you to sign up for your seat uh, in the way that you would for a Sunday morning service. And so you can do that on our website. You can do that in the, in the LCC app under the Sunday morning tab. If you click that prayer gathering graphic, there'll be a way for you to pull up to, to sign up and, and plan to be here. It's Wednesday at 7 o'clock. All right, Mr. Frank's going to come and bring us a special announcement. And then after that, Pastor Keith will bring us the word. Thank you, Evan. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you and uh, very excited uh, to announce a, a four-week alpha that will be starting September 29th. And uh, now typically at alpha, we have about 200, 250 people in that room number 200. We're going to squeeze 50 people in uh, because that's all we can put in a room under the current conditions that we have. So I want to encourage you, if you have friends that have never been to the Alpha course, we want to encourage you to invite them to come and be with us here. We'll have dinner. It'll look like Alpha. It'll just be, the room won't be quite as loud as it typically is on a Tuesday night. So Tuesday night, September 29th, for four weeks, just four weeks, not 10 weeks. He's not going to be able to say the reason you don't want to come is because I blew those jokes for you. But, um... Today, four weeks could be too long, but, but anyway, you know, we, we live in, and so, so we'll do it here live, but also there's an opportunity to, for you to invite friends to an alpha dinner party at your house or have them come over for coffee or dessert. 
for an, a live-streamed Alpha that will be live-streamed just the same way this morning service is being live-streamed. So you can take in that four-week Alpha right where you're watching church service today. So please do that. Invite friends to be a part of that church service. You know, 2020 is an interesting year. It's interesting that, you know, if there's ever been the certainty of uncertainty, it's been something that is so unusual. 2020. I mean, that's when you... 2020 is great vision, right? You say, I got 2020 vision. Well, if you got 2020 vision, you don't know anything because we are living in times of tremendous uncertainty, tremendous uncertainty. I mean, the last time I stood up here was, was March and I was announcing the spring alpha. I don't know what happened, but we didn't have it. Um, but I mean, we've had COVID, we've had riots, we've had the economy tank, we've had crime going up like has never been seen before. We, uh, we have another hurricane at our door. We didn't know any of that was coming, did we? Had, didn't have a clue. God knew. God knew. But we don't know anything. You know, everybody's life has an expiration date on it. We know, you know, okay, the milk is going to expire. The, the yogurt's going to expire. The cheese is going to expire. The credit card's going to expire. And we know when. The date's on it. But none of us have an expiration date on our lives, do we? That would be weird, be scary, but you may want to check if you check that. But no. Um, but nobody knows when their expiration date is. Some, uh, according to world statistics, 150,000 people will die in the world today. Some people may not make it through this hurricane. You just don't know. And so that's what we want to encourage, as always. Come and hear the truth of God's certainty. When you come to know Christ, he puts a stamp on you. Eternal life, even when you die, you live. And so come, we want to encourage you to, to invite your friends to this four-week alpha. Invite them to your house. Invite them to hear the only certain news that there is, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in him... You will live even if you die. And if you believe in him, you will never die. And so Alpha, September 29, four weeks, or take it in live stream from your houses. Register, please, at LeafyChristianCenter.com if you're going to be here in the church. So hoping for an exciting four weeks. We're excited to report what God will do on the other side of those four weeks. Pastor Keith. Good morning to you guys. You guys are the late crew. You guys are the, the ones who are not afraid. You have time to make preparations for your storm. You have time to watch the Saints game. All they was packed in here a little bit this morning, the early ones. They, they don't have the faith that y'all have. You're chill. You're laid back. You're not worried. They all came early like, oh, they'll be out of hot dogs at Winn-Dixie or something. Anyway, all right, open up your Bible, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we are going to delve into Paul teaching us some more about the gifts and the, particularly the gift of prophecy today. Let me start by doing this. Last week, what I did was I, I took this whole section and just let us stare into the aspects that were here about the gift of tongues. Right, so there are two gifts that are going to get a lot of press 
in this chapter, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy and the Corinthian church kind of caused that, if you will, because they were out of line in both. They were misusing one gift and underusing the other. And we get a chance to learn about these gifts. And my hope is to just give us insights from Paul. When he went to visit a church in Corinth, there's a lot like our church, right? I mean, it's a local church. These folks are gathering together. They're doing life. They have jobs and they come together maybe once or twice in a week to, to have meetings and learn about the Lord and minister to each other. So there's a lot to be learned here because it's, it's a setting just like ours. And there's some insights here about these gifts that are for us to function in today. So I, I know I'm going to say this up front. The, the, the idea that there are prophecies and prophets, that's a big category, right? We go all the way back in the Old Testament, got big categories back there. This is not a study in the prophets, right? This is not a study. We're not going to, nobody gets to walk out of here being Isaiah or Jeremiah, This is a study about how the gift of prophecy, which is a little bit of a different thing than what you saw in the Old Testament, how the gift of prophecy in the New Testament church functions. So I want to listen for some particulars to give us an idea, because there's some mystery here, right? If you've ever asked the Lord, Lord, help me to pray for another person. How should I pray for them, Lord? And you've actually meant that in a way that I want to be quiet and see if the Lord shows me something. Well, you're kind of flirting with the gift of prophecy when you ask that kind of a thing. But you'd also know that can be a hard moment, right? You can sometimes feel like, okay, I'm hearing nothing. I have no idea what God wants to share with me. Uh, And what would it sound like if he did? Well, there's some help here in this passage. Let's read. I'm going to extract a few pieces of the passage. We're not going to read the whole chapter to give us some some focus for this morning. So let's start in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 14. Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in the tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people. For their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, skip down to verse 23. Start reading there. It says, if therefore the whole church comes together, right? So this is where you use these gifts in the gatherings of God's people and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter. Will they not say that you are out of your minds, right? You walk into a meeting where gibberish sounding foreign languages are all being spoken simultaneously. And you just kind of wonder what's going on here. So even Paul says, Hey, that's, that's going to be a setting that's going to be confusing for people. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he's convicted by all, right? Each, each prophetic word that's being shared, there can be a, a conviction for this person in that he's called to account by all. And the secrets of his heart are disclosed. 
And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn or a lesson, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If anyone speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let them first let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God's not a God of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. Let's pray just for a moment. Lord, some of this could just be for a few of us, just some real foreign ideas. We've not thought about this kind of stuff. We've not pursued this in anything called a church setting, that there would be these kinds of instructions and these kinds of expectations and activities in these meetings. Lord, that's just different for some of us. But Lord, you preserved these insights. You took an apostle from a setting in Corinth in meetings similar to the meetings that we have today. And you preserved the practice, the activity, the, the working of your spirit among people. So Lord, you wanted us to know these things and you wanted us to learn from them. And God, we're, we're asking for help this morning. Help us to see what does this mean for us today? What does it mean for each of us individually as we're part of your church? In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'll raise a question in your, in your notes there, if you guys have notes or if you're looking on the app and you're looking at our notes. Um, is this section in 1 Corinthians, is it essential? Is this essential information? All right, now that word essential, that's, the, that's like a vocabulary word for 2020, right? Have you ever paid attention to that word before you got to this, this year? Right, the 2020 breaks out, the pandemic hits, the whole world gets dialed back, and all of a sudden you're discovering that certain things in your life have been labeled essential, and other things have been labeled non-essential. Now, if you were curious in that moment, because I was curious about that, who gets to be the po- person in charge of the label? Who gets to stare out <clears throat> at my life and say, okay, Keith, you know you've been living this thing for 50-something years here, but, but this is essential in your life, and this isn't. These activities are essential. These activities are not. These businesses are essential. These businesses are not. You can go to these places. You can't go to these. Somebody got deputized to be able to stare at everybody's life and say, and tell you what the essentials are and what they are not. I don't know if you knew that or not. And that created quite an uproar, didn't it? Right? It's still an uproar. So our country is not happy about the fact that some of us think things are a little bit more essential than Joe government thinks it is. And Joe comes along and says, hey, that's not essential in your life. Right? If, you, if you're a California resident today, there's not a lot about worship that's essential in California right now. Because right? the government has come along and said that uh, there aren't to be any meetings of churches and there isn't to be any worship going on. And so however long this pandemic thing is going to exist... You don't really need to be doing that kind of stuff right now because that's not essential. Who says? 
Who gets to say that? Now, listen, I don't have any problem with the fact that our government officials that I respect and and thank God for are managing a pandemic with health issues and transferring viruses to one another and trying to to steer that. But, you know, in an interesting way, if if you're a believer, you know something. Your eyes have been opened to the fact that you're just not some physical blob of tissue making your way through a human planet. You are a spiritual and soulish creature that there's there's a hidden invisible dimension to you and there are things that happen in the, in the spiritual realm that matter to our lives right, did, did you did you know that that you know the governments i have never seen a government notice on this right I, i've never seen the government sound like first peter chapter five that that there's a a devil out there roaming around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour and the government's just here to let you know the roar, roaring lion notice for today is amber alert you know the devil's on the loose to, the government doesn't tell you that kind of stuff but it is a fact that there is a devil and that devil's after something right if you want to know what he's after in a general sense he's after your faith For some reason, the universe that God is interacting with right now, in a fallen sense, he interacts with us by faith. He does it in a way that requires belief on our part. He doesn't physically show up. There's very little writing going on on walls, although he'll do that every once in a while. But for the most part, you relate to God by faith. And the devil's after that faith. So that would mean for me, anything that protects my faith Anything that builds up my faith is pretty essential for me. I hope you feel that way, right? So when I come to this chapter, you know, it's interesting. Some of us, though we you know, kind of can mock the government or we can not like that they have made certain things unessential in our lives. How many of us as walking Christians, we've known God for years, but we have decided arbitrarily to tell God what in his Bible is essential and what is not essential? Right? How do you do managing your life when it, when it gets too hectic, too busy, too much pressure, too much to manage? You start looking in your life and saying, well, you know, that's not essential. That's, um, I could do without that. I, I definitely need to do this and make time for that, but I don't have to do this over here. I'll be okay. And unfortunately, we as Christians, right, we get to a place sometimes where we're labeling things like uh, prayer and communion with God and taking my soul to be in the presence of the living God and letting him speak and relate to me and adjust to me and and give hope to me and give faith to me and and bring adjustment to me and bring humility to me. I know you guys know that if you extract some of those things I just described from your life, you could make some terrible decisions in your life to wreck some really important things. Right? God's got something in your life, precious, valuable, but it's in a tough place right now. And for you to let that thing stay in your life, it's going to take faith on your part. It's going to take an ability for you to see that this thing doesn't die. It has a hope because the God of the resurrections come near to me. And he's given me hope for that thing. And so I'm going to work with that thing. I'm going to keep that thing. I'm going to get near that thing in my life. It might keep you from giving up on something that you would cast to the side in your life in a heartbeat. Where'd you get that faith and that hope from? Uh, The presence of God. Sitting with God. You may have some ideas about how to define your life. 
how to define important things about like your gender and your identity, your marriage. What's going to bring hope and satisfaction into your life as a, as a human being? And if you decide this is not essential in your life, right? You got a lot of essential things. You, you know, you got a lot of essential things going on right now, right? You know what this is? This is me thumbing through my uh, social media feed. This is essential. I need to make time for that. I need to do that. But this is not essential because, you know, there's only so many hours in the day and I got so much going on right now. So this becomes silence and maybe a little devotional reading here and there. And yet this word is going to define my existence for me. And I'm treating it like it's non-existent. So then God comes along in this word and writes things for the local churches that when they gather, when you do ministry, hey, there's this thing called spiritual gifts. Hey, make sure that they're happening in your life. And it's like, well, you know, I'm busy. I got a lot going on. There's a pandemic. I don't know if you heard. I don't know if I have time to practice the gifts and grow and things like speaking in tongues or prophesying, right? These are not essentials. Essentials, it's like salvation and the doctrine of justification. I'm going to heaven one day and, and God just, you know, comforting me in my, maybe this is essential. I would dare say in our day that anything that builds my faith and protects my faith is essential to my existence. And there's something strange in this chapter, right? There's something about encountering God through prophetic ministry, for instance. And I'm going to narrow on that because that's where Paul's going to land today. There's something different about that, a little bit strange about that. The more it dials into the particulars of your life, it can be a little spooky, uncomfortable, in a way that just reading your Bible isn't. But, but there are things that God does in our lives that bring him near to us in an encounter sort of way, that we encounter the presence of God in a way that's essential. If you have been practicing a form of the Christian life, you've been raised to believe in a form of the Christian life that doesn't have much miraculous, supernatural, unexplainable kind of stuff going on in it, you're going to find a day when your faith is going to get tested and, and you're going to need those resources and they're not going to be there. I hope you have a story today that when you met Christ, he went to work in your life in such a radical way that you can identify you are not the same person that you used to be. That miraculously God has changed attitudes and approaches and bondages and things that you have trapped by, experiences that you have. There are some people in this room who have every bit as bad of a story as you had growing up. They were impacted just as horrifically. And listen, I know. People have had things happen to them in their lives that are just debilitating. They become this noisy thing from their past that just constantly reminds them of how much are you really worth? How much did people really care about you? Who, you know, your parents weren't something. Somebody else abused you. You've got these massive things in your life. Did you know the body of Christ is full of people who've had those experiences? And yet some of them have encountered God in such a way that they have gone free from those experiences. And they can tell you the story about them, but when they talk about them, they are things in the past and not things controlling them in the present. Where'd you get that from? I don't know. I just got around God and God just did something in me that was powerful and effective. 
Listen, when discouragement and the enemy comes for you and he goes after your faith, you will need those stories and those remembrances. And you will need the word of God. So don't choose one or the other. And in this chapter, these are, these are little strange encounters, right? Prophetic words are a little bit different than what we may get used to just from reading pages of the Bible. But yet God said, practice this among yourselves, right? Pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Each and every one of you pursue this. All right, so here's what I want to do today. I'm going to give you a quick... Uh, quick guide, when I call it a quick guide to prophecy at Lakeview. This is a big subject. Uh, this is a big subject in the Bible. It's a big subject in our experience because sometimes we've had bad experiences that have made us not want to pursue this. And so that makes me want to cover a lot. So I'm going to try not to do that. What I'm going to give you is like, you know, when you open up that, that gadget that you got that came and it's got like a instruction manual to it. And it's really, really long, but there's this one little piece of paper that says quick manual, like the, how to get it, st- you plug it in, you turn these two buttons on, you pull this tape out, the thing's good to go. All right, this is that version of the instructions here. So we're not deep, deep into prophecy here. We're going to run through some things, but this is a subject for you to study further for sure, because it's something we're earnestly desiring. And if you've got questions about what we believe about this for you to come and ask or use some resources, I'm going to recommend uh, Wayne Grudem's book in here today. You can see it and a couple of the quotes. So quick guide to prophecy at Lakeview Christian Center. First, we don't believe that the gift of prophecy has ceased. As I shared last week about the gift of tongues, we believe that we have entered into a chapter called the last days. And that chapter inaugurates at Pentecost with an outpouring of the spirit that will be manifest in these kinds of ways. Prophecy is one of those kinds of ways. And that's going to continue all the way until Jesus comes back. So we don't believe that this gift has ceased. It should function today. Second, we don't believe that prophetic gifts carry inherent authority like this does. This has inherent authority attached to it. What Paul is going to describe, and I'll show you this in just a second. What Paul's going to describe to the Corinthians is something that you're okay. As a matter of fact, you are called upon to listen to it and then question it. Um, you're not invited to do that with this. Right? This is God's revelation that has authority. It's the inspired word of God that he has superintended to have given to us as it is unique, it is not like a word somebody might have for another person. This is God's inspired word. So God has spoken with authority into these things. So, you know, when our culture moves into new categories and starts to ask questions about stuff, and, and whether it's identity or gender or marriage or the things that are out in our world today, um, God doesn't invite you to come to his word and then go, hmm, let me see if that's true. No, God declares this is true and he doesn't care what your opinion is about it. He doesn't write this down and say, hey, read carefully, come back, let me know what you think. Evaluate it, discern, hey, two or three among you, weigh this thing, right? That's not what he says about this, but it is what he says about a prophetic word. So in a gathering like this, somebody comes to a microphone, you know what, Patrice shared that word. 
you don't just say, oh, well, the pastor said she could share it and she came to a microphone. You know, anybody speaking into a microphone has authority. So whatever she said, it's all true. Uh, no, it's not. That could have been half cuckoo, by the way. But so could what I'm about to say to you next. And you're called upon to be discerning based on this. So if you don't know this, you got no hope, right? You're just kind of like you're blowing in the wind. But if you do know this, you know, okay, is this sounding right or not? Did that sound right or not? Okay. So listen to what Paul says about these gifts. Remember, this is not Paul explaining Isaiah or Jeremiah's ministry. That's not what this is. So I know when I use the word prophet and prophets and prophecy, we go back to, we say, oh, I know a bunch of guys like that in the Old Testament. This is not Paul having a conversation with their ministry. This is Paul having a conversation with local Joe in Corinth, who's trying to give a prophetic word to Susie over there. Little different ministry than Isaiah and Jeremiah, right? So here's what he says. In Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9, Paul said this. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Right? So prophecy's got a partial dimension to it. It's not this full, clear, ultimate revelation. It's got a partial design to it. Verse 12. For now, Paul says, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And so there's coming a day when we stare into the revelation and the truth of God and the person of God, where everything is stripped away. All this fallenness, this blur is gone. In that day, we will know fully, even as we are fully known. There's going to be clarity in that day, but that's not this day. This day is more like staring into a mirror. Now, you kind of don't get this unless you've ever stared into a Corinthian mirror. A Corinthian mirror doesn't look like your mirror. When you stare into a mirror, you see clearly. That's not the mirror he's talking about. In their day, they didn't have mirrors like we had. Right? They would take bronze or a metal, work it into a shape, and then polish the heck out of it until it was as much of a shine and a reflective ability as it could possibly have. But if you've ever, you know, tried to stare at yourself, I mean, your spoon is probably uh, a little bit of this. You can stare at yourself in some kind of polished silverware and get a little bit of an idea what this looked like. Or take your grandmother's, you know, remember when they used to have silver? That kind of fell out of the way, didn't it? There was a day in which all moms and wives wanted to have a silver set. Right? My grandmother, my mother had a silver set. You, know, you take the platter and you stare into that thing, shine it up. And you kind of see yourself in it, kind of. Right? But if you're trying to count the fourth hair from here, you can't see that in, in that mirror. You see dimly in it. That's what a prophetic gift feels like in the Corinthian church and in our church. You see something, but you don't see it absolutely clearly. Right? So therefore, when somebody says, hey, I think I have an impression, that's a good word to use. Because what you're seeing is not, I got this revelation from God word for word. Mm, no, you didn't. You got an impression. You got something in a mirror that's got some limitation on it. And Paul expects that, right? That's why in in verse 29, 
When you gather together, he says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Right, so you could have a meeting like this where somebody shares something. Um, now, what we do, just for you to be aware of how we use this microphone, you probably wouldn't do this in your small group, but, but you might, uh, is we often weigh what's being said before it's shared, just because we have a little bit of a sense of, okay, this is a public meeting. There are a variety of folks with a variety of understandings here, and we want to shepherd them well and care for them. So we will often ask folks, if you have a sense of a word that God has given you, come and let us know that in advance. And so the elders will look at a word and, and weigh. And, and sometimes, and those of you who have come to us with words, sometimes we will disagree with your word. Sometimes we will weigh your word and we will say, ah, uh, I'm not sure that portion right there should be shared. Or I'm not sure you should share that right now at all. Uh, maybe at another point you should share it. Right? Well, Paul invites that. He's not saying it like, and listen, I've been in charismatic and Pentecostal circles where that activity would be called quenching the spirit. Well, brother, you're quenching the spirit because prophetic words get associated with spontaneity and anybody might just have a sense and you should just let them come up and share it. Uh, you know, if you're going to come up here and say something cuckoo, uh, I have a responsibility for that as one of the elders in the church. And so why don't you tell me what you'd like to say first? That's not quenching the spirit. That's the gift of leadership functioning right alongside the gift of prophecy, which Paul's got no problem with. Now, I think another form of meeting here is in, in their meetings, and this may happen in your small group, somebody might just, might spontaneously feel like, I feel like I've got a word to share, and they share that word, and it's appropriate for two or three, let me weigh that, let me see what this feels like, and yeah, that, that seems sound. Or it could be that, hey, you know, most of what you said, I really thought that was, but there was something here that, man, that's a little off. That's not exactly how the Bible speaks about that kind of an issue. That would be appropriate. So, so do you understand you could be in a meeting where somebody shares a prophetic word and 65% of it is like, cool. And 35% of it's like, I don't know about that. That's what Paul's describing here. So don't, don't develop an idea that prophetic gifts have this clarity and this perfection to them that they're always right on because somebody really felt strongly about them. Listen, you feel strongly about a lot of things, but the human factor in you can make you strongly right and wrong all at the same time. And God knows that, right? First Thessalonians, pick up a couple of thoughts to help us in this category. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 19 Paul says to the, to the Thessalonians, as a matter of fact, he's writing to the Thessalonians from Corinth, right? He's come down the coast. He's in Corinth. The church in Thessalonica in this moment, maybe a year old, maybe a year since Paul's left there and that church got started. So this is not like some thriving, been around along. This is a young church. And this is what Paul's going to say to them. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Why would he have to tell these guys that? Right? They've only been around. Maybe this church is two years old now. now. Maybe they're a year and a half old. Why would you have to tell that church, don't despise prophecies? Any of y'all think that maybe they've begun to despise prophecies? I think so. I think that's why he brings it up in particular. Because sometimes prophecy can be done in a way that makes you not like it. Right? I mean, there's a lot of that out there today. Some 
prophetic ministries and the way in which they're done can make you go, that ain't God. That is so hokey. Oh my goodness. Did you see this televangelist and what he did? And it can make you despise prophecies. Now here's the tough part. Even if you've encountered that, the word of God says, don't despise prophecies. Now maybe that's weird and that's not prophecy and you're okay. Leave that alone. Don't do that. But do not let your heart decide. I'm not even getting around this thing. What you see in 1 Corinthians 14, you are not to despise. But test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. All right, so you're being told here, lean in. Receive these words. But listen, test everything because there's an aspect to what's being shared that involves the humanity of the person sharing it. This is not Isaiah's ministry. This is not Jeremiah's ministry. When those guys spoke, they led into what they're saying by saying, thus saith the Lord. The ministry of the prophet in the Old Testament was a word for word declaration of what God was saying. There ain't no scene into a mirror dimly here. And if any of those words fell short, you know what you did to prophets who fell short in the Old Testament? You took them out back and you stoned them to death because the role that they played was so unique and needed to be so absolutely clear that you can't be misleading God's people by introducing some aberrant, you're a little off here. Hey, Jeremiah, 50-50, man, that's not bad. You're batting pretty well. Not in the Old Testament, not their ministry. Every word was thus saith the Lord. This is why we don't encourage people to use that phrase when they come share a word. Thus saith the Lord. Uh, Don't say that. Because you're going to give the impression that everything you're about to say is what God is saying. You stared into a mirror dimly and got what you got. Come do the best job you can of putting that into English for us. But we're aware you might miss it a little bit. Right? Listen, when, when somebody from Chalmette prophesize, they sound like a Shalmation, right? I mean, that's just what comes with the gift. All you guys from Shalmate, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you might need a translator as well. I mean, you give from interpretation when a Shalmation gives a, a word. But what God's doing is God is impressing something on you. And that impression could have a variety of feelings. It could be words, concepts, and thoughts. It, it could be an, an emotion or a sense of pain. It could be a variety of things. You're going to put that into words and you're going to use the vocabulary that you got available to you. You're not going to all of a sudden sound like some rocket science genius, you know, Harvard grad. When you, it's like, oh, that doesn't sound like you at all. When you give prophetic words, it's like, wow, never heard you use those words before. Probably not going to happen. You're going to use words that you know. And, and then everybody's going to have to weigh those words. And say, hey, I, yeah, I think there was something from God in that for me. Or uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure that sounded really accurate or not. All right, this is normal, by the way. This is the body of Christ. This is what small uh, groups and this is what church gatherings are supposed to feel like. And, and by the way, let me just throw this passage out at you. You're supposed to be doing this right now while I'm teaching as well. The teaching gift is not some perfect word for word from God transaction between us. Paul said this in Acts chapter 17, the experience of the apostles going from church to church. Acts records, now these Jews 
were more, more noble, right? these are the Jews in, in Berea. So he's traveled from Thessalonica and he goes down to Berea. And he's in this church of Berea. And it says, these guys, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And there were some bad attitudes in Thessalonica. They, in Berea, received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So here I am, I know for some of you guys, I'm, I'm throwing out some thoughts on, on prophecy and, and maybe you're hearing this for the first time. You know what you're not supposed to do with the gift of teacher is just say, well, I never heard this before, but if that's what Keith says, I guess it's right. Uh, you're supposed to examine the scriptures now to see if what I'm saying is true. Do you hear what I'm saying here? And if you do not, you should be questioning what you're hearing in the teaching gift that God gives to the church, right? So the human factor is here, right? I think I wrote your outline, human weakness, which that's gonna come out when we communicate, imperfection and influence is anticipated in the Bible. It's not shocked. Nobody's shocked in the Bible that, oh, somebody said something that was a little bit off. I'm not shocked by that. We just address it according to God's word and we correct it and we go on. And that's how these gifts function. Can I just tell you that's everything in the local church is that way? Teaching in the local, leadership. If you guys have been in churches, you have questioned, why did those leaders make that decision? Why did they decide to do this and not this? How come this church does a whole lot of stuff over here, but they don't do this over here? Are you shocked when you see something that you're kind of like, uh, that doesn't seem to be right. There's the humanity of all the people that are in this room are in this. When you, when you go to do fellowship with one another and we put on holiness, how many of you guys have noticed holiness has a lot of holes in it in the Christian family? None of us are quite as holy as we ought to be. And we got issues and we're growing and we're wrestling with those things. We're overcoming some of them and we stink in other ones. You know what you shouldn't be doing? I think, I don't even know if that church is a church for goodness sake. Okay, you've been hanging out in Corinthians with me? You think that church is a church? Have you been convinced by now that these Corinthians are messed up people? But yet they are a church and God is at work among them in amazing ways. So Paul's not freaked out when the human factor taints and slows up and influences the God factor among us. That's going to happen when you go to share a prophetic word. This is why, listen, if I share a prophetic word with an individual, you know, I dip that thing in questions before I share it. It's like, listen, oh, I, I have a sense to share something with you, but I, you know, this may not be where you're at. This, just, just see if this is where you are and see if God would use this. But I'm not asking you to just say, hey, carte blanche, whatever I'm about to say, you go with it. You take it to the bank. I want you to question what I'm about to share with you. And then if the Holy Spirit bears witness with you, then he's going to take you somewhere with that word. You're going to benefit from it. And that's how we should manage these words, right? What is this content? Next question I ask, what's the content and the direction of prophecy? What is it? What's the tone of it? What's it going to, what's it going to fill the air with when we hear it spoken? Well, beginning of that chapter, first Corinthians 14, where Paul tells us pursue love and earnestly desire. Then in verse three, he says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies, he speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. 
right? So a prophetic word is about to come. What's it going to sound like? Well, it's not going to sound like an interpretation of a tongue, which is directed toward God. Oh, God, you in your glory for years and years have been faithful in every way that we could have ever imagined, God. We are so grateful. We are overwhelmed. All right, that's a God word expression. A prophecy is speaking to us. It is addressing us. God is speaking to us about something that's going on right now, that's near to our lives, happening in our church, in our current day. That's a prophetic word, right? And it's going to have these qualities to it. It's going to be for the upbuilding of those who hear it, for their encouragement and their consolation. These are very helpful words. Because I'm not sure that you would always feel like when you pick up Isaiah or Jeremiah that that's what you feel like you're getting. In some ways you are, but you're also getting a severe dose of correction sometimes. And God is taking time to identify missteps and how out of balance his people are from what they should have been doing, right? So let me explore these words with you. I'm just going to give you a quick definition for them from the original language in the Greek there. The encouragement dimension, it's, it's the Greek word parakalesis. It's used 29 times as a, a calling upon, an exhortation, an incitement, a persuasion. So when somebody speaks these words, it doesn't sound like an indifferent, I don't really care about what I'm saying, is like, yeah, I'll take the Big Mac. Uh, yeah, it doesn't feel that way. It feels urgent. It feels inciting. It feels like this is something that we should be listening to. That's what it should feel like. Another dictionary says accompanying words, right, related to this word, show that the admonition is not sharp, polemical, or critical, even though it is urgent and serious. The fact that comfort can be another meaning points in the same direction. So this word is associated with comfort. It's God trying to come into a moment with us. That word consolation. It's the Greek word paramethia, expresses a greater degree of tenderness, at least by word of mouth, than parakalesis, or comfort and encouragement, which carries a more general sense of helpfulness, comfort. They, but both of these words are very much related, they're very similar. The theological dictionary says this word is made up from para, which means toward, and methiomai, which means to speak. It has the basic sense to speak to someone in a friendly way. Listen, I, grab that word para, right? It is, it is a word of being toward us, right? Remember, this is where we get the word paraclete, describing the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter, who is going to be sent to us. He is the living presence of God among us. This is, this, is how, this is what prophetic words do. They come near to us. They're about right now what's going on in your life. They show up in the sense that God wanted to make you aware, I know what's going on with you. I know your situation right now. And that brings with it a sense of encouragement, right? And comfort into our lives. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 14 says this. This is again, Paul speaking to that young church. He says, we urge you, brothers, there's an urgency. Brothers, I urge you in this. Admonish the idle. Encourage, that's the same word, the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. all right, let, me, let me just grab that verse for a second and shake it 
on top of us. These Thessalonians were doing life with each other. We're doing life with each other. And Paul had an urgency where he was calling them to notice this. Notice among you that there are those in these categories. There are those who are idle, those who are faint-hearted, and those who are weak. And you're to do something about them, Thessalonian church. You're to be involved in their lives in some kind of a way. You're to admonish the idle and encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak. And all the words of prophecy do that sort of thing. They help us, they admonish us, they encourage us. But let me just ask you this question just to see, how, how are we doing in fellowship? How are you doing in fellowship? If I were to say, make a list of people that you know in Lakeview Christian Center that are idle right now. They're idle in their faith. They're not moving forward. Not laying hold of the kingdom of God. There's not this passion to build God's kingdom. They're just kind of going through the motions right now. Flat, just idle. What about those who are faint-hearted? But I said, write down everybody you know in the church right now who's faint-hearted, who fear is, is a roommate with them. And they're, they're just facing circumstances and situations that they're struggling to have faith for. How, how long of a list could you make? Could you write anybody down? How about the weak? Who at Lakeview Christian Center are you aware of that is weak? Now, I point this out because the reason why prophetic gifts would function is because we are aware of those needs. Those needs would draw these gifts out of us. Right? When somebody is faint-hearted, you're walking with them, and you're going to minister to them, and you go to pray for them, and you pause, and you listen, and you say, God, you have anything for me to share with them? They just seem really distraught right now. And you wait, and God shows you something right in their mailbox about what's happening with them right now. That's going to bring some courage into their faint-heartedness, isn't it? And that's what these gifts are designed to do. They bring God near to us in powerful ways. All right, by way of content, one more thought. Wayne Grudem says, and again, his excellent book, if you can follow the, the title of that book, you'll get some great help in this category. Wayne says, it's interesting to notice that the common conception of a prophet as one who predicts the future, plays no part in Paul's definition at this point. It's not, as we shall see later, that prediction was excluded from prophecy, but rather that prediction was not an end in itself. It was only valuable as it served the purpose outlined in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So I know sometimes we feel like, well, if God's going to give me a prophetic word, it's going to be, I'm going to tell this person five years from now, I see you with a beard down to the floor and there's money all over the place. It's like, I'm trying to predict your future. That's the gift of prophecy. That could be, that is in the New Testament and the gift does function that way. But what Paul highlights here, I think we need to pay careful attention to because he's speaking to a gathering just like ours. Is when you bring these, you're going to bring a revelation, you're going to bring an insight into somebody's life that's going to bring encouragement and consolation and comfort and help and care for this moment that they're in right now. That's what this word's going to be like. Now, one more thing that he says here that is very helpful. Again, we're just trying to figure out what's this mysterious gift going to be like. Well, in chapter 14, verse 23, Paul unpacks something here that's very helpful for us. Here's somebody encountering the ministry of a prophetic word. He says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders and unbelievers enter, 
Will they not say that you are out of your minds, right? So there's a guideline for speaking in tongues. Don't, don't be turning that loose in here with people you don't even know who they are. You don't know what's going on with them. Unless there's an interpreter, don't be doing that gift in this public gathering. But if all prophesy, and, every, and all could, anybody in this room could prophesy. You don't have to be somebody special for that to happen. But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he's convicted by all. So prophetic words impart a sense of conviction into our lives. He's called to account by all, right? Just pick up what these words mean, right? You're being called to account. In other words, there's something about your life that you know you ought to be doing. Something about your life that sits in you with an awareness, right? I call you to account because you know this and you're not doing it or you're avoiding it or you've ignored this for too long. But that prophetic word, it zeroes in on your life in such a way that you know, oh, this is about me. Oh, jeez. God knows what's going on in me right now. That's what this prophetic word is doing. The secrets, verse 25, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. Right? I've been practicing something I thought nobody knew about. I've got secret sin going on in my life. Nobody knows. I've got a, a call from God that God has shared with me that I've refused to act on. And I'm living in fear and I won't do it. But nobody knows that. Until you walk into a meeting and somebody says, I just have an impression here that somebody's just... The word Jonah comes to mind and you are running from God right now. And God has said something to you specific and he's done it recently. As a matter of fact, it's happened, I think in the last maybe two weeks and you are running from God. All right, the, the, this just keeps getting closer and closer and closer to you, doesn't it? It's kind of like at first you thought, yeah, Jonah, that could be anybody. You know, in the last two weeks, oh shoot, when was that? That was like two weeks ago. And it's been nagging me and I won't do it. And oh my gosh, now God is disclosing the secrets of my heart, right? And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. All right, I don't know what your experience has been in this category. I wish the Lord had given me a better memory. I've had a number of experiences in this category. I'm just going to tell you about one of them. Right, so this is years ago. We're having a, a small group meeting in a home. And, and it, the, the meeting was becoming more and more evangelistic. So more and more people were coming that we didn't know. And they would come to these gatherings and we'd have times of teaching. And then we'd have times of prayer and ministry, just waiting on God. And so there'd be little teams of us, you know, two, three of us that we would get with folks and we'd just pray for them. But one night, this, this young woman comes to the meeting and nobody knows her. And she's a little bit guarded. But she's troubled. And so after the meeting, she asked us to pray for them. So I don't remember who all was in this prayer time. It was me and two or three other people. We start praying for us. So I'm kind of like, hey, can we, is there a particular way that we can pray for you? And, and she just was kind of like, well, I'd rather not say, just really guarded. So we thought, okay, we don't want to be invasive, make her uncomfortable. All right, well, can we just pray and see what the Lord might show us to, to how to pray for you? And she said, yeah, okay. So we took a moment. We just prayed and delayed and waited and, and the Lord began to give really impressions that looked like you were staring into a mirror and you were sort of seeing something. So we waited for a moment. I said, well, I've got a, I've got an impression. It's kind of strange. And this is, you know, sometimes I argue with God. It's like, Lord, this is weird. 
this is weird. Could you show me something else, please? Um, I don't know. I'm not, I've had moments where I've said, I'm not saying that. I'm not going to say that, God. Uh, this wasn't quite one of those moments, but it was weird. And I thought, well, all I can do is just throw it out there and see what happens. So I share, you know, I just, I just got this impression. All I could see was like an arm and a hand from, from here down with a gun in it. Does that mean anything to you? <laughs> it's like, you know, you're kind of like, I oh, know this is weird, isn't it? Does that mean anything to you? And then somebody else says, I, just, I got this, this uh, image or impression of a blue car. All right, so at this point, I'm thinking, this is getting weird now. <laughs> I'm even thinking that. She burst into tears and just starts crying. And we're like, okay, what just happened here? When she stops crying, she's try, she tries to start explaining what's going on right now. And she said, I just went through a relationship breakup with my ex-boyfriend and I took a gun and I shot up his blue car. And we're kind of like, okay. <laughs> Apparently what God wanted to communicate to that woman in that moment, all right, there was no, there was no profound theology. I've got no handgun blue car theology to unpack for her. But I think what God was wanting to do in her situation was I know all about that breakup. I know all about what you experienced in that. I am near to you in your life. I'm right here. And there is no way that woman would have known anything except there is no, I've never met you two people. I have no idea how you could have known that in my life. Surely God showed you that, right? And you know, we get a similar situation when Jesus pulls up into a Sychar village in the land of Samaria one day, right? You guys remember this exchange with the Samaritan woman? Now, if you know anything about us, I know some of you guys may have never read this, this from your Bible, but it's in John chapter four. If you get a minute, go and read this story. And it tells the story of this woman who, as we learn her story, you learn she's, she's had a rough life. She's been through some stuff. And there's little clues about this, that she's, she's going out, out of the town to the well to draw water. Well, everybody did that. This, this is how you start your day, right? You need water to get through the day. And, and you go and get that water, not at the heat of the day, but in the coolness of the day. And so all the women would go out and it was like a town gathering. They were all bumping into each other. It's like going to market every day. And you'd catch up. Hey, how's little so-and-so? Yeah, da, 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 da. She doesn't come to get water at that moment. She comes at noon when it's hot and no one's there because she doesn't want to run into anybody, but she runs into Jesus and Jesus starts giving this revelation to her about living water, that there is this thing called living water and it can satisfy the thirst that's in your soul. And he begins to zero in on the condition of her soul. So he's got her attention now and she's having a conversation with him about living water. And, and Jesus goes prophetic on her and says, go get your husband and bring him here. She said, I don't have a husband. And then he freaks her out. You said, right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the guy you're living with now is not your husband. Now, can you imagine her response right now? I mean, I think sure, she's going, surely God is in this place, right? She starts to ask Jesus questions and she comes to this awareness that is he the one? 
is he the Christ, the Messiah? And this revelation goes off inside of her. And this woman who wanted to avoid everybody in town drops her bucket, goes running back into the village, yelling at everybody now, saying, come and meet. Listen to what she says to him, though, to them. Come and meet a man who told me everything about me. What was it that got her attention? Jesus explaining living water to her? Jesus explaining that he was the Messiah? What was it that made her go, oh my gosh, you told me everything about me. That's what flipped her out. And that's what made her run back. Let me just say this as well, because you know, I'm bumping all these current trendy kind of stuff. Can I use this trendy saying? That woman was empowered. Right, there's a lot about women being empowered today, right? Being published. That woman was empowered. All the shame was gone. The fear of relating to other people, the living inside the box of whatever had happened to her that she had gone through five husbands. Maybe she was a black widow who killed them all and she was about to kill this next guy too. Or she had been terribly abused and neglected and kicked out one time after another. And it was shutting her life down. She had past experiences that were controlling her until the moment a prophetic word from Jesus comes and discloses the secrets of her heart. And she becomes empowered to live her life in a way that that word set that woman free. That's what prophetic words do. They show up in your business. They get so close to the realities of what's going on with you that they make you aware, God is near me right now. And can I just tell you, there are going to be moments in which you're going to need somebody to come tell you about your blue car and your handgun just to make you aware God knows what's going on in your life. And you didn't get that from a Bible verse. Although there's a lot we get from Bible verses, right? We love, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here for an hour today teaching you from the Bible. So we believe in the Bible and how important it is. But there are little moments, and I mean, I'll just share a couple of them with him just from the last couple of weeks where God, I think in a similar prophetic sense, just showed up in my world uh, and communicated some things very subjectively. I could not have gotten this from the Bible. Right, it was either last week or the week before, in between the two services. I think I shared this with the, the guys who were here in the second service. That I had two people back to back walk up to me in between the service. The first one walks up and says, hey, I just wanted you to know I've been praying for you lately. It's just really been a burden on my heart. And I just get this sense. It's like, um, like I, I see you and I see sheep that are, that are scattered and they're wandering. And, and I see you like this, like you're trying to gather them back together right now. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. All right, she shares that with me. 30 seconds don't go by. And the next person comes walking up to me. We're just, you know, chatting in between services. Says, you know, I was getting ready this morning to come and I was getting some coffee. And man, I just, I just had this sense like, like the sheep are scattered and they're being picked off on the edges one at a time. And I thought, oh, Lord, how kind of you. Because you know, I am concerned about that. And I am been laboring under, how do we gather our folks? How do we protect our sheep? And for you, Lord, to send me two people to say that within 30 seconds of each other, just to let me know you're here with me. You're in this moment. You, you know what's going on. That subjective sense. Now, I know God's near. He said he would be near. But I knew in a different way that God was near when those two words came to me back to back in that moment. 
I had a impression from the Lord uh, this week. I woke up, a typical wake up. I'm not a morning person, so uh, I wake up and before I get out of bed, just as just my habit, my intention is, is for my thoughts to be, God, I, I need you today and I need you to show up and I need your life and your power. I need you to go before me. So I, this is the way in which I pray before my feet hit the floor. I usually quote Acts chapter one, verse eight back to God. I said, God, you said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. God, I will need that power today to serve, to be available, to do whatever it is that you have before me today. All right, so that's my conversation with God every morning before I get out of bed. I don't use that time to intercede. I don't go through my kids' names and my wife. I do that in another setting. I don't pray for you guys individually in that moment. But one morning this week, I wake up and what floods into that moment is the name of a couple in the church, right? There's a lot of couples in the church, right? There's like 1,400 people that are part of this church. A lot of names could come to me in that moment, but strangely, this couple's names come to me on that morning. And I'm thinking, okay, that's, that feels a little weird. What do I do with that? Kind of think about praying for them a little bit. And so I eventually get out of bed, go about my day. And I think, well, maybe later I'll just send them a text or something, check on them, make sure they're okay. No, later in the day, he sends me a text reaching out to say, hey man, we're going through a hard time right now. Could I get a meeting with you? Now, what that word did for me is staring into their problem makes me aware that God is with me as we go to address this problem. No matter how big this problem is, no matter how intimidating it looks, no matter how undoable, unfixable it looks, for me, I know God's already with me going into this. And so does he, as I shared with him. As a matter of fact, I texted him right back. I am not surprised that you are texting me today. By the way, this is somebody I haven't seen since March. When we, before the pandemic hit. So that was not same day a coincidence. That was God coming near for people to know I am in your moment with you. I am in this circumstance, in this setting with you. And, that, and that's the nature of prophetic gifts. Prophetic gifts show up in the right here and the right now. They're not just Bible exhortations that I'm going to quote any passage from this and then I'm going to exhort any human being. And I could pick that exhortation up and I could take it to the year 1450 and get on a boat crossing into America and, and quote that same thing to those people in that moment. Or I could go to a Bible seminary right now and I could share that verse and give an admonition after that verse. And that would work anywhere. That's not a prophetic word. That's a good word. It's not a prophetic word. A prophetic word's got a little bit more of, you've had how many husbands now? Your situation is in that description and God is bringing it to mind to let you know I'm here with you, right? Let me give you Wayne Grudem's definition here before we pray. I think he explains that quite well. He says, how then is prophecy different from other speech activities in the New Testament church? What made prophecy so valuable that Paul wanted it to be sought above all other gifts? The answer is found not in the function of prophecy, but in the fact that prophecy is based on a divine revelation. 
right? An insight, an impression, something God is making known to you to share. Because of this revelation, the prophet would be able to speak to the specific needs of the moment. I think that's a very helpful phrase right there. If you could stick any phrase next to prophetic gifts, that one would be helpful. It is dealing with the specific needs of the moment when the congregation assembled. Whereas a teacher or preacher would only be able to obtain information about the specific spiritual concerns of people from observation or conversation, the prophet would have, in addition, addition, the ability to know about specific needs through revelation. In many cases, the things revealed might include the secrets of people's hearts, their worries or fears, which need appropriate words of comfort and encouragement, or their refusal or hesitancy to do God's will, which need appropriate words of exhortation. Prophecy, then, is superior to the other gifts because the revelation on which it depends allows it to be suited to the specific needs of the moment, needs that may be known only to God. In this way, prophecy is supremely qualified to be speech that edifies, speech that fits the occasion, and that it may impart grace to those who hear. Uh, Eric, is Eric in here? There you go. Come on back up, buddy. All right, so in this category, what's a prophetic word going to feel like? Let me, do, let me just put this in everybody's lap here. All right, so you just listen to something of a message about people functioning in the gift of prophecy. Are you right now wondering who besides you that must be? Are you right now thinking, okay, so if I were to be used by God in this gift, this is the kind of stuff I would need to know. This is a kind of, this is what it would feel like to get an impression that I'm going to share. It would have specific in the moment characteristics about a group of people, a individual going through circumstances. It would leave that person a sense of comfort, care, nearness, that God was aware of where they were. All right, so if you're going to have a prophetic word for somebody, and the Bible hopes that you will, how are you going to go about learning to discern that? Learning to receive that, right? So I hope this is something that we, we seek to do in our small groups. I hope that we make room for that. Uh, when we gather on Wednesday, we're, we're going to seek to pray this week about this empowerment because this is the kind of edification and building up that God said was going to be needed in the last days. You may need somebody to come blow your mind with a specific insight into where you are right now that makes your faith go from about to go away to, okay, I know God knows where I'm at. You may need that. And God may want to use one of you to share that with another. So here's what prophetic words communicated. Last little paragraph I'll cover. They communicate nearness and nowness, particular relevance. They provide aid to faintheartedness provide comfort and encouragement. They may do some internal self-discernment. They may reveal secrets of the heart. They bring persuasion to us to get us moving, right? Incitement and urgency to us to get us to take up something that we've been afraid of or avoiding, right? This is the nature of the prophetic 
word as it functions through us. And it is a gift for any of us. Let's stand up together. Lord, we started this discussion this morning with a thought of what, what, what is really essential in our lives? There's a lot essential. But clearly, the most essential thing for any of us is to know that we have been restored and reconciled to you. That our lives are right with you. They're in your hands. The work of Jesus Christ on our behalf has been received and believed by us and your spirit is present within us. That's all so essential. Knowing that you are our father, that we have an eternal home and dwelling with you. So essential. But Lord, when I pick up a Bible that's got a limited number of pages in it and it doesn't discuss everything here, but it does take a lot of time to discuss some things here or maybe prophetic words are more important than I've made them in the past. And Lord, even if I just think about that woman at the well that day, Lord, I wonder if I grabbed her and pulled her on the side and I said, hey, do you think prophetic words are essential? <laughs> I wonder what she would say. As she choked back tears. she became aware that God was near to her and knew, knew about her life and all that she had been through and the effect that it had on her. And she probably would say, nothing has changed my life like that day. And that encounter with God coming near to me. But I don't know everybody who's here this morning's situation, their background, Lord, what's happened to some when they were five or 10 or 12 or 15 or 27. But Lord, there are secrets in our hearts. There are pains in our lives. There are stories that seek to control whoever we're gonna be. And Lord, I know you care about those things in those places. Lord, not just for those that are here, maybe those that are watching. And those you're going to send, Lord, there's going to be people coming to Lakeview Christian Center in the coming weeks or months or years. That, Lord, maybe we need to meet them at the well and just be sensitive to an impression that you might have for us about what they've been through that causes their faith to leap to a new place and causes them to turn to you and worship God because you got specific with them in some unique way. And Lord, you don't do that for everybody. Everybody didn't have a woman at the well encounter with you. But she did. And some will. So Lord, would you open that ministry to us in a greater way? Would you take... I, think, I pray you'd take all of us, Lord, but at least take a handful of folks that are right here that are watching today and bug them with this. Don't let it go away. Make them curious. Make them go buy Wayne Grudem's book. Make them sit down with their Bible and pray and ask and pray and ask and seek and ask more questions. Make them gather here on Wednesday night to say, I want that. I want God to use me that way. 
I've come to seek. I've come for God to lead me into more ministry in these last days. People are going to need it. So God, make us that church for these days ahead. God, watch, watch over our flock this week, Lord. The storm is on our doorstep. There's opportunities to be afraid and the need for wise decisions are among us. God, go before us. Give wisdom to us when we need it. Protect our hearts from being afraid. You are with us. God, watch over our city. Lord, as we seek to do ministry here for the sake of the gospel, watch and keep us in that purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.